if you want to look in the mirror at the end of the life, it's uh, your responsibility to make everything you can do uh, to uh, change the situation. Welcome to the Inner Green Deal podcast, the podcast for sustainable, compassionate leadership. You just heard Professor Dr. Volker Quaschning. He's Professor for Renewable Energies at the University of Applied Science in Berlin. Along his scientific work, he has dedicated more than a decade of his time explaining the energy transition towards renewable energies to a broader public on his YouTube channel, on social media, and via his books, as well as presenting on countless summits. Furthermore, he is a founding member of Scientists for Future and was one of the plaintiffs in the case against the German government regarding the protection of the freedom of future generations which was put in front of the German Supreme Constitutional Court and which is considered a historical ruling. Professor Questioning will help us to reflect on the question how do we transition to clean energy within one decade? I'm your host Tom Weimann and I'm glad that you're with us to discover your inner green deal. We started with talking about origins and how Professor Koshning started out being passionate about sustainability. What was it that had a profound influence on his dedication? I'm working for climate protection for 30 years, more or less. And during the time I've studied electrical engineering, um, I've seen a report from the German government. So in the 1980s, there have been a commission. Uh, the commission looked for climate change and earth protection. And they made a report in the 80s and uh, they said all we know today. So they said we will get problems with uh, refugees, with droughts, with flutes. Maybe we get starvation. I was shocked from this report. And that time I said I, I have to do all I can do against uh, this development and so I said what can I do I'm electrical engineer and so the solution uh, is renewable energy so I went to the renewable energy sector I made my study my master thesis my PhD and since that time I'm working there having spent decades on research of renewable energies asked professor questioning Where is it that we stand today? He points us to think of this more as a marathon rather than a sprint. And he also has a very clear reason to be motivated. See, we have a problem with the climate change, so a very massive problem, so the biggest problem that mankind had ever. And uh, we, we know that more in Germany, more or less 80-90% of the um, greenhouse gases come from firing fossil fuels, so uh, oil, gas and uh, coal. So the solution is to get energy supply with 100% renewables. It was totally clear also for me in the 1980s that we have to go this way. It's not an easy way. It's, it's a clear way. We know for 30 years that we have to go this way. But there was a lot of people against this way. And I said, okay, it's not a sprint, so it's a marathon. <laughs> and we have to go the way because there's no other solution because I, I have children and I want to keep the planet in a, in a way that I can say that's a, a planet my children can live on. In spring of 2020, the German Supreme Constitutional Court declared the current climate protection measures of the government to be unconstitutional, as these emission reduction targets 
had been postponed for so many years and stated that the law was not detailed enough about how reductions would happen. In order to meet just a two-degree goal, the previous Climate Protection Act would have meant zero emissions from 2030 on. The bottom line was the federal government needs to provide a scientifically stringent path towards carbon neutrality. The court effectively created a basic right for a future. This ruling was considered a historic turning point. Professor Quashning was one of the plaintiffs of this case. So I asked him to share a little bit of a history of this case with us. Some of the environmental community decided in 2018 to go to the court and to fight for uh, climate protection. It was the first time that the community tried to, to do it and a lot of lawyers said uh, it won't be possible. But we started, we tried, and then we've seen that we had success. And that's very interesting because before we had all this international legislation and we have the Paris uh, Climate Summit and the German government has, has ratified and has said, okay, we will be part of it. They decided like we have to commit for it, but yeah, we can do it. If not, nothing will happen. So, and this is the policy. We have seen the German policy and we say it's not possible to fulfill the Paris Climate Agreement. In this episode, at times we will be giving you some audio colleges to give you a broader context. Let's start with this one. Young environmentalists have long accused the government of not taking action fast enough on climate change. You've achieved a big victory uh, in the courts in Germany and the government and has responded. Last week, Germany's highest court ruled they were right. Now politicians have to respond. And the government has responded quickly by changing their target. The courts have ruled that according to our basic law, not just the freedoms of those living today has to be protected, but also the freedom of future generations. What's now interesting that the, the highest court in Germany, they have said that the German government has to fulfill the Paris Climate Agreement. And that's very interesting. So it's not any more a volunteer act of the government to, to do some climate protection. They have to bring some goals. They have to fulfill some limits. And for us, it was a very, very big success. We didn't expect it. We thought at the moment that we did decided to go to the court that only this is a public act. So the press will report about this and maybe the court will discuss about it and they say, yeah, it's interesting, but the government can make the decision on its own. And now everything has changed. So there is a lot of pressure on the policy. And the pressure will uh, go on because in 2020, uh, it was the first year the German government has fulfilled uh, their own climate protection goals, but only due to the corona crisis. So we expect that uh, this year the carbon dioxide emissions they will rise five or six percent, next year another rise. And so there is a big gap between what the government has promised and what happens at the moment. This will make a lot of pressures in two or three years on the climate protection. And I'm very happy that, that we have this goal because otherwise the, the government would say, okay, we have tried to make climate protection that didn't work. So we can do uh, anything for that. And now they have to do. Two of the plaintiff lawyers, Dr. Roda Verhein and Remo Klinger, commented like this in a statement on the ruling. The time for political climate goals is over. 
They are not left alone to the legislation, but they need to be science-based and in line with fundamental rights and the Constitution. De facto, now we are mandated to act today and not increase the burden of future generations to come by postponing our actions. The German fundamental law has now been interpreted in a way towards intergenerational justice. I asked Professor Quashning how he feels about this aspect of intergenerational justice. It's my generation that is going to destroy our planet, is really true. So I'm now uh, 52 years old. As I started to work, climate protection was a subject some people are talking about. As I, I started to, to look on climate change, the, the temperature increase was only 0.6 degrees centigrade. Now we have uh, 1.2, so the double, and it only happened within 30 years. So you see how much happened, how fast it happened, and it's only one generation who did it. And uh, it's our generation. We make the, the damage, and uh, we are now responsible. So maybe my life expectancy is 30 or 40 years. After that, I will leave the planet. And if we see the reports of the climate scientists, we see the very big efforts uh, that will affect and just may destroy the, the human civilization. That will happen. So maybe at the end of the century, all the people who made the decision, who lived now, who destroyed the planet, they are not anymore at the planet. But our children or our grandchildren are there. They are not responsible for that, but they uh, will get all these problems from us. And I think uh, if you want to look in the mirror at the end of the life, it's uh, your responsibility to make any, uh, everything you can do uh, to uh, change the situation. I was really touched by this clear value of being able to justify your own actions at the end of your life and being able to look into the mirror. In regard of letting your values guide your actions, I asked Professor Quashning about Scientists for Future. The initiative was founded in spring of 2019 to support Fridays for Future. Within weeks, more than 28,000 scientists signed that statement. Professor Quashning was one of the authors of the first statement of Scientists for Future, alongside other scientists like Dr. Gregor Hagedorn, Professor Maya Goebel, and about 30 other scientists. What was it that led him to take part in Scientists for Future? And what role does he see for the initiative in regard of creating a mind shift within the broader public, especially in politics and economy? So in 2019, we had uh, the Fridays for Future movement. They started and they went on the street. And we had in Germany an interesting discussion. We didn't discuss about climate change. We discussed uh, children uh, don't go to school uh, and, and go on the street. So we, we are from the scientific community. And we said the children, they only tell us what the, the, the scientist ha has written 30 years old, a long, long time on, on their papers, and nobody has recognized it. The younger children, they said, that's what the scientists are saying. We have a problem, and we want the, from you, from our parents, from the policy, a solution. That's only what they say. And uh, the policy said, oh, go to school, your children, you are, do not know anything. And so we said, 
that can, cannot be true. We are the scientists. What the children say, uh, are saying, it's, it's true. It's totally true what the children uh, are saying. And we have to do anything against this. And if children should go to school, stop. Uh, you have to talk about how to protect the climate. And that's what we want to do. And I was very impressed because usually scientists, uh, they are... Have very big problems to go to the publicity or to make publicity go in the public. So they were writing their papers, they are going to scientific uh, conferences, but uh, they are not going uh, to the public or they do not, do not write new newspaper articles or some, something like this. Uh, calling for action against climate change and they're frustrated at the older generations and of course most of all at those politicians who are currently in power here in Germany. India's capital is one of a thousand cities where school children planned protests against grown-up inaction on climate change. We must keep going into the streets and we must keep demanding our leaders to take real climate action. Every week there are also more uh, parents and even some teachers coming out in support now um, of these students who are leading. In part by Swedish 16-year-old Greta Thunberg. I support Greta Thunberg. Like She's the only one who took initiative. Uh, we want change. We demand change, and we are the change. 2019, it was very easy. So we started this uh, initiative and we want to make a big sign from the science that we say it's true what the children do and stop talking about uh, going to school. Let's talk about how to protect the climate. And it was very easy to find people to sign it. So usually uh, it was very difficult some years before to talk about with um, scientists. We, we are going to the street or we were talking to the publicity. But during that time, it was very easy. More than 20,000 people. It was not very hard to collect the, the science. And we see that it was a wish from the community. So a lot of scientists are there that said, OK, it cannot be true. 30 years, we, we are writing articles, uh, we are writing conference papers, we are making reports that politicians can read, they can look into. But uh, all the reports we, we did, they are in the carpet now and nobody is looking on that and it cannot be true. And there was a very big wish of the, the, the science community to give a very big sign. And that's why it was interesting. It was a very high resonance from, from the press and um, I'm very happy that this happened. If one would think of this as a wake-up call, and two years gone by, I wondered if people have woken up yet. The, the type of the conversation has changed. So um, before we have two communities. So one community says, okay, there's a problem with climate change. And there's another part of the uh, society that said, okay, we do not really know. We have to wait and we have to look for what happens. Maybe there's climate change, maybe not. Now, uh, I think more than 90% of the people in Germany, they believe in climate change. That is what has changed. So because 90% of the people in Germany believe in climate change, all, nearly all parties have to uh, deliver a program that, that what they want to do against climate change. Uh, some years before, we have seen a lot of parties with more or less no uh, content for climate change. We have only one party, that's the A AFD. So they, it's like Donald Trump, they say there's no climate change, but they have only 10% of the uh, elections here. But now we see a different change. Now all parties say, yeah, we are doing 
everything we can do against climate change. And now we look into the programs for the for the next government and we see no of the big parties really make a, a program with, with what we can fulfill the Paris Climate Agreement. Some years before, the, the parties didn't want to do climate change. And now they are talking about climate change. It's the first step. But now we have to keep on the pressure that they uh, increase their efforts to make more climate protection. As politicians are our elected representatives and they seem hesitant to step into action. Where is it that we get stuck? Is it a lack of information? Is it about holding on to or the anxiety of losing something which is important to us or that we are used to? What is it that is making us wait and not act? We have a lot of reports from the IPCC. We have a lot of reports from German scientists. The government has all the reports they can look into and they know what to do. If they want to know, they could. There's no lack of no knowing in Germany. But the action is the problem. Because we are a very rich country, people have a good life at the moment. So there have some poor people, but compared to the rest of the world, there were a few poor people and all other people are thinking, how can I build a bigger house? How can, where can I spend my holidays? So this is the problems that people have at the moment. Now the, the scientists or the Fridays for Future, they have to say, okay, we have to make a different life. You can spend your holidays, but don't use the airplane. Or you can build a house, but you have to look how, how is the insulation or what heating system you have. So there are very things we have to, parts you have to, the life you have to think about, you have to reflect, you have to change. And that's not very comfortable because uh, all of the people say, my life is good. Well, why should I, I change anything? If you have a bad life, it's easy to change uh, your life. But if you have a good life, it's not so, so easy. And the parties, they have to tell the people the life will not be uh, even worse, or, uh, but it's, it will be a different life if you want to make climate ch change uh, protection. And that's not very comfortable. It's not the way you can win the elections. We have... 15 years left to fulfill the Paris Climate uh, Agreement. So we have to make the changes very fast. It's not very uh, comfortable to do it. And so a lot of people or a lot of parties, they are afraid about that. And they say, okay, maybe we have four years left and the next government after us, they can do it. Often we are looking for solutions on the outside to kind of prevent changing our habits right now. In regard of technologies like nuclear fusion, carbon extraction or storage, it sometimes feels that we do not act because some future technological advancement might save us. So look on inventions, for example, the electric car. The invention has made 100 years ago or something like that. We have the invention and then it takes some years or most times some decades that the invention is used by everybody. And so we need uh, invention that uh, is so good that we can become carbon dioxide uh, neutral and everybody will use it in 15 years. It won't happen. So there's no invention I can imagine that can do it. How should it work? It won't work. So if you have no idea how to become carbon dioxide free, okay, it could be a hope. But now we have uh, the technologies. We know the technologies to become carbon dioxide free. We can afford it. It's affordable. And we know the way. Why should we wait on 
anything. So I think it's ideal. So the people who do not want to make changes, they say, okay, we can live in the way we are living because everything will be good because there's falling from the, from the sky any technology that will, will protect us, but it won't work. So it seems the why is pretty clear. The United Nations estimate that our global energy consumption is going to increase by further 50% until the year 2050. Having an expert on renewable energy systems around, the elephant in the room was quite clear. How can we do this? How can we be fully sustainable or even restorative in regard of our energy consumption? And how do we do this quickly? Yeah, renewable energy is, is, is the solution. The uh, amount of solar energy that reaches the Earth is, is so big that it's no problem to get any country uh, carbon dioxide neutral. So in Germany, one or two percent of the landscape or of the land area is, is enough to make a renewable energy supply. And uh, for the rest of the world, it's even easier. For uh, every country, it's a different way. In Norway, for example, we have at the moment 100 percent hydropower. For example, in Iceland, we have geothermal power, but uh, in Germany, we will see, for example, a mixture be between wind power and solar power. And if we have a good com combination be, um, of both technologies combined with some storage, it's no problem to get 100% renewable energy supply. But the installation rates for solar and wind power are so low. That's a problem. We have an energy um, transition in Germany, but uh, if we continue it with the speed we had uh, the last 20 years, we need more than 100 years to get carbon dioxide neutral, and we have only 15 years left. The solution is totally clear. So 100% renewable storage. We know in the traffic, we uh, have to go to electric cars. We have to stop in the heating sector. We have to stop oil and gas heating systems. So it's totally clear what we have to do. But the speed is the problem. We have to increase the speed by the factor of five or six for for the energy transition. If you increase the speed, so it's a big effort and also some big changes uh, if you increase the speed. And that's the problem we have discussed before. In the public discourse, you can often pick up the aspect of affordability. People are afraid that the energy transition will increase prices so much that they will not be able to pay the energy bills. Given that we were recording this episode two months after the horrible flood events in Germany, Belgium and the Netherlands, Professor Quashning had another perspective on this matter. Germany is a very, very rich country, for example. We have 7,000 billion euros on money the people own. So if we want to pay for uh, the energy transition, it will cost uh, part of that. The, the uh, climate change the, the, it threatens the life of our children. So we are not able to pay a part of our uh, savings for the life of our children. I cannot believe it. Um, and now look what it will cost if we have no effort in climate uh, protection. So, for example, we had in, in Germany the big flood in July. Damage was about 30 billion euro. 30 billion euro in only one night. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change comes against a backdrop of recent catastrophic weather events. The floods in Germany aren't the only extreme weather event we've seen this summer. 
There was the dramatic heat wave in Canada and the western United States last says The country is in mourning with so many people having lost their lives because of these floods and so many questions as well. At the beginning of July, record-breaking temperatures in the western US and Canada left hundreds of people... Now, the climate science is very clear on this. It has been predicting not just for years, but for decades. The village of Orloff has literally been ripped apart by the floodwaters. Roads, homes and properties destroyed. Heavy rains brought biblical floods to Belgium and Germany, raising villages to the ground. There's so many people dead. Experts had long predicted such extremes were likely, but many are warning that modelling may have been underestimating the speed and ferocity of the impact. But it's the loss of life here which has broken many. You don't expect people to die in a flood in Germany. The German Chancellor, Angela Merkel, has visited the region and expressed her shock at the destruction. On Wednesday, her cabinet will agree a rescue package for these areas. Some politicians in Germany say the extreme weather is the result of global warming and they're calling for work on climate protection measures to be accelerated. After torrential rains triggered deadly floods in western Germany, survivors have now turned their focus toward the daunting task of rebuilding. And uh, this shows what climate change uh, will make on damage. It's only uh, one of the first damages. So let's look 50 years further. Then we expect 10 times more damage. And uh, there will be a point where the damage from climate change will be higher than that which we can afford. This will be a big problem. Now we have the, the, the option to invest against that. The, the prices for a re- renewable energy supply it's so low, it's no problem. And if you're now comparing different technologies, for example, solar electricity with, for example, coal electricity, there's no, really no difference. You can discuss, maybe it's a little bit more, 10 or 20 percent or something like that. But the price difference is so low and the damage we expect from climate change is so high that I I cannot believe that we are discussing about prices. Of course, if we change the system, the prices the people are paying at the moment will change. Some people will pay more, some people will pay less. And we have to look that there's justice on that. Poor people, they have not to pay too much. That's the problem we have to solve. But for, for whole Germany, for the whole society, the amount we have to pay for the energy transition, it's no problem. According to a CVA survey, of August 2021, two-thirds of the Germans find that we are missing impetus and the spirit of optimism in order to embrace climate action. In some of his lectures, Professor Quashning picks up the theme of Europe's man-on-the-moon moment. He says, we need an Apollo mindset, a belief to achieve this transition like we have not seen it yet within this country. This notion refers to President of the EU Commission Ursula von der Leyen introducing the European Green Deal like this. Today is the start of a journey. But this is Europe's man-on-the-moon moment. This is a reference to the US President John F. Kennedy addressing Congress on May 25, 1961, like this. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space, and none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. It then took the U.S. about seven years and several hundred billions of dollars 
from the decision to putting a man on the moon until returning him safely back. So I asked about the importance of having a strong, positive and clear vision, which might enable every citizen to gather around or even get excited about. If you want to make big changes, you have to explain to the people that the life will be better by the energy transition and climate protection. And that's really true. So lo looking on electric cars, for example, they're, they're more sexy than cars with diesel or, or gasoline engine. And in some years, they will be uh, less expensive. They do not make any noise. They have no uh, pollutions. The people don't die by the exhaust of the uh, car. So it's a better life. And if you look To, to coal power plants. In Germany, we are destroying some houses where people are living because there's coal under it. So we can stop it. So if you look uh, on the big landscape uh, damage from the coal, we can stop it. So in the other case, we have solar installation on the rooftop. It's cheap, it's easy, it's clean. And we have to uh, make a vision. And if you have a good vision that the people believe and say, okay, I believe that my life is good, but it will be even better if we are making energy transition and climate protection, then I think we can convince the people to make a very fast change here. And uh, for that, the vision is very, very important. So how do we deal with this as a whole society? What do we need as this transition to renewable energy will be really fast? I think it's also a problem from democracy because the democracies can avoid very strong changes in, in, a, in a fast way. So, for example, Donald Trump, he was elected as a president, but the damage he could make was limited. So it's a good point of the de democracy. But if you have to do fast changes for protecting the people, so the democracy is also limiting the speed. So that's a problem. For that, I like our democracy and I hope that it's possible in our system to, to convince all the people to make the fast changes. And for that, we need very strong leaders. They, they are talking to people and say what we have to do. And we have to make a vision to see what world is better. And another point, if you're talking about people, if we want to make energy transition, we need a lot of people um, who, uh, for the transformation, for example, installing a photovoltaic system, you need people for that. Uh, installing a high number of photovoltaic system, we need a high number of people for that. We have to start now. And we have a lot of people are afraid to lose their job due to the changes, but Of course, we have no jobs anymore in the coal industry or for producing diesel cars, for example. But we need much more people for installing solar system, for making infrastructure, for charging electric cars and so on. We have a change, a transition also in the working sector. And for that, we also need the policy. We have to organize. So we lose two, three hundred thousand jobs in conventional companies, but we will create more than half or one million jobs in the new field. And we have to organize the transition here from the job sector. And that's a very important point, and I think it's not in the focus at the moment. As Professor Quashning pointed out in the beginning, this is a marathon. To be able to complete a marathon, you need to be able to divide your energy, so you're able to make it all the way to the end. And now we even have this sprint part within the marathon, where we need to accelerate quite a lot. So what is it that is giving Volker Quashning energy? What gives him hope? 
if you're now working tw 20 or 30 years here in the field of renewable energies, energy transition and climate protection, you have seen a lot of changes in the sector. As I started in solar energy, solar power was really expensive. So it was uh, 10 or 20 times more expensive than coal power. It's a good hobby. You can use it or on your carport, but for getting carbon dioxide neutral, it's no technologies. It's too expensive. Efficiency is bad and so on. And now the scientific community did their homework. So the efficiency of the solar cells is, has increased significantly. We have doubled it uh, within 20 years. The prices went down by the factor of 10. Of course, all the people are afraid. Oh, how can we afford it? Now solar electricity is the cheapest electricity we can generate generate on the planet. 20 years ago, it was difficult because it was really too expensive. So, for example, developing country never could afford solar power 20 years ago. Today, it's the cheapest electricity. So if you're talking now of the energy supply of developing countries, they do not have to use coal power station because they are too expensive. Now they have not to make the mistakes we did. So they can directly go to renewable energy path. We have the technology. We can afford it. The only point is to bring the society to that point that they go with us. That could happen within some weeks or months. But if the technology is not ready or if you cannot afford it, it's much more difficult to make a solution. And for that, I think it's possible, but we have to fight about that because, as we said before, it's hard for many people to imagine that their life will change. But uh, it's only a point uh, yeah, in our minds that we have to change, not in the technology and not with the money. I find it remarkable to hear such a conclusion from somebody who is deeply rooted in engineering and technology. It is possible, but we need to imagine a positive change. It is only in our minds, not within technology or within our money. It was such a pleasure to have Professor Volker Quashning on the Inner Green Deal with us. So I expressed how grateful I am that he gave us these important insights. Yeah, you're welcome. So, nice to be here. For this week, I invite you to contemplate together with me on the question, what is my responsibility that I can do so I'm able to look into the mirror years from now, knowing that I really took care and acted upon it? In our next episode, Jeroen will be welcoming Matthias Berninger, the head of sustainability at Bayer, and together they will explore how a company of 100,000 people approaches sustainability, and they will zoom in on the impact on agriculture and biodiversity since their takeover on Monsanto several years ago, and also what has changed since. If you'd like to start a dialogue or support us, please reach out via the show notes. Thank you for being with us on the journey to an inner green deal. But uh, it's only a point uh, yeah, in our minds that we have to change.